everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Foodie and the Beast. Would you believe that next week is our 14-year anniversary on air? And on Wednesday, it is our 26th wedding anniversary. And they said it wouldn't last. I mean, I'm serious. I said both things would not last. I said the radio show went last and our marriage went last. But here we are, um, the marriage and the show both still existing. And yet, my husband is not here with me today. And it's not because anything is ending. It's just because he had to do some travel. Um, So you just get me. And I'm not trying to be competitive. But in case you've noticed, whenever I'm not around, David always has a guest host. Because he can't handle it on his own. I mean, I'm not trying to judge, but maybe I'm judging a little. Uh, but listen, I don't need a guest host. I think I could take you through today because we have an amazing, amazing show. So the Beast is back. No, not David, a foodie in the Beast fame. The Snallygaster Beast and the head of that massive, massive monster literally, is in studio with me today. Greg Engert, the nationally and internationally acclaimed beer expert from Neighborhood Restaurant Group. He is pouring beers all of the show, and uh, he's going to teach you how to be a beard nerd, too. The Capitol Jewish Museum. It's a new museum. It's opening on 3rd and F Streets in Northwest. It's coming this spring, 2023. It's a secular organization. It's exploring the intersection of the American Jewish experience here in D.C. Now, a lot of you may be like, another Jewish museum? Let me correct you. There is not a Jewish museum in D.C. There is a Holocaust museum. That is not a celebration of Judaism. That is a tomb of remembrance. So with me today to talk about the museum and the upcoming Capital Jewish Food Festival is Andrew Columb. He is the deputy director of the Capitol Jewish Museum. And side note, I'm going to be at that festival because I am sharing the stage with kosher soul himself, Michael Twitty. So more of that in a little bit. Now, as many of you know, back in June, I went on this fabulous trip with a group called Reality. We went to Israel. We were team taste, and that meant everyone in our group had a hand in the food, wine, and hospitality scene. Enter one of my very favorite people from that trip, Dara Schwartz. Uh, Dara's journey from working in advertising to traveling all around the world, learning from chefs, to creating her own packaged goods items, Darista Dips, um, which are now available nationally. It's, it's really an inspiring story, especially for those of you looking to break into the consumer packaged goods market. You want to listen in. Now, you may have seen me being trailed by cameras around town, uh, mic in hand, talking to ambassadors and their families. No, I'm not a new reality housewife, although I can play one on TV once in a while. Um, And I'm talking to all their chefs. I've just tickled to be part of this year's Embassy Chef Challenge, but the people at Events DC have taken this fave event even 
bigger, exploded it, because now we have the 2022 International City Food Festival. It's celebrating food, it's celebrating culture, and there is entertainment all over the place. I'm so excited to have Jinhee Kim here from Events DC and one of the competing chefs, Michael, whose last name I did not get. I need you to pronounce it for me. Gifarde of Peru. Um, They're going to be in today to talk about what they're presenting at the Embassy Chef Challenge. And as someone who's uh, emceed and judged that event before, I know what it takes to win. So we'll get into that all later. But first, it is raining outside. It is cold outside. I'm wearing boots. I mean, none of this is good. Deb Moser, Central Farm Markets. Are the markets open? Help me out. Yes, we are open, but it is chilly and it is rainy. So start thinking comfort food. Mm-hmm. I know I am. Like soup? I really want some something to warm me up. We came in last night. It was cold. It was rainy. And I was like, what can I eat? So start thinking of things. One of my favorite, and I know that this is going out there on a limb, is we have apple cider donuts now. Yum. And you know, I mean, that that and a glass of hot apple cider with a little bourbon in it. You I was going to say, hot apple cider and apple cider donuts does sound like a bit much, but the addition of bourbon may break that fat. I hear right. where you're going. Right. Just don't do it for breakfast. I mean, a little right. later in the day. Don't get judgy, but, Deb. But think about soups. Think about the prepared foods that we have at the markets. We mm-hmm. have Ethiopian food. We have uh, Indian food. A lot of our prepared foods will, boy, they will warm you up and they're Mm -hmm. delicious and they're good and you don't have to cook. So, uh, you know, those are some things to think about. And the other thing I want to tell you is it is October 1st, but you do want to get those turkey orders in. We can't stress enough. They are going to fly this year, literally. (laughs) They don't fly, but okay. I mean, that does totally stress me out when you say that because thinking, my head is still in August. I can't believe you want to talk about November, but I hear you. You have to plan ahead. I know you're right. It's something to think about. They do go fast. And all you have to do is talk to one of the vendors, one of the farmers that have the turkeys, put your orders in. They're just taking deposits now. That's all you have to do. You don't have to stress over the meal yet. Okay, that's fair. And I want everybody to know that they can go to the website and if they want to, they can order there as well, correct? They can go, they can click on the farmers and go to their sites there. You can order directly through their sites. But yes, there's a link to click through and we will be posting more of those, that information and the click through so you can get to them. Excellent. All right, Deb, tell everybody where they can find you online and on Instagram, please. Okay, centralfarmmarkets.com, all the hours. And and should there be any closings or any inclement weather, that's where you're going to find the information. So centralfarmmarkets.com. Excellent. Thanks, Deb. We'll see you next week. All right. Have a good day. All right, Greg Anger. Talk to me about Snallygaster. It's back. It is back next Saturday. Um, we're going to be hosting uh, the D.C.'s Biggest Beer Festival. Um, mm-hmm. Thousands of people descend on Pennsylvania Avenue. We'll have about 400 beers, uh, dozens of wines, great cocktails, food vendors, two stages with, with bands and DJs, and it's all for Arcadia, which is our, our, our big nonprofit partner for the event. Well, we'll get into Arcadia for a little bit because it is an amazing uh, 
charity, and you guys really do incredible work there. But for people who maybe aren't familiar with Snallygaster, it's it's in its it should be in its tenth year, it is, right? Indeed. It is its tenth yeah. year. We missed it last year. Uh, twenty twenty. Last year was our first year back. Back. Yeah. Okay. So, but this is not like no. I'm not trying to be mean to like Budweiser or something like that, but not like they care what I have to say. But this is not like a big brand beer festival. You are this internationally acclaimed beer expert and you take a lot of time with your team to curate an incredible array of hard to find beers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we are, yeah, we are decidedly not Budweiser or any industrial lager producer, like global lager producer. We're trying to, Promote small batch brewers, artisans who um, put passion before profit, and um, we go all over the globe. So you'll find beers from you know from Europe and South America, Canada, but also lots from the local scene here in D.C., uh, Maryland, and Virginia across the country. And the coolest thing is that as the reputation of the festival continues to grow, most of these brewers are at the festival now. So when you're drinking. 400 beers from 200 brewers, you're talking to the brewers, you're tasting the beers with them, and it's amazing. The other thing is that we changed the format a couple of years back, a few years back now. So it's uh, one buy-in, and you can taste unlimited tastes all day long, which is an incredible so way. So you're not like going around all day buying more tickets, buying no, more no, tickets. No. It's, it's just like it's so one cool. price. Yeah, exactly. So so next Saturday, October 8th on Pennsylvania Avenue, 2 p.m., we still have tickets available, and it's a pretty great deal. I think it's $65, and you can taste 400 beers. Beers and wines and cocktails, which is amazing. And I don't. We'll get into the food that's available because you can't drink all that stuff and not eat a little exactly. bit. Yeah. So um, we'll get into it a little bit more in the show. Tell me what you're pouring first, because I see stuff already poured. Yeah, so I um, sent it out. But yes, I poured a beer from one of the coolest breweries in Germany. It's called Schlenker Law. They're from Bamberg in Franconia, so Upper Bavaria. And they're known for making what's called Rauch beer or smoked lager. This is the mildest of the bunch, but they actually use some smoked grain in the beer. So there's a hint of like a bacon, almost mortadella character to it, which is sounds strange, but well, it's it sounds not. It's so amazing. it sounds so it has a like a fatty texture. No, the texture's crisp and clean like a lager, but okay. it's more aromatic. And okay. on the palate, in the finish, there's a little bit of like a campfire smoke that's reminiscent of like a bacon or even mortadella. And what is the name of the of the beer again? It's a mouthful. So the name of the brewery is Echt Schlenkerla. I just think you is... like saying that, but go ahead. <laughs> and then it's, a, it's their Helles Lager beer. So just a really crisp, refreshing, low alcohol. I think it's only 4.5% alcohol, golden uh, lager. Excellent. All right. And for those of you who can't see Greg in studio, I know it's a radio show, so none of you can see him, but he is dressed for Oktoberfest in his Lederhosen. He's been wearing it for how many weeks now? It's been about a month now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's his. Uh, it's not a costume. It is his day-to-day. <laughs> okay, pass out those beers, please, and we'll get back to you in a little bit. Okay, Andrew Cologne, Deputy Director of the Capitol Jewish Museum. I'm so excited to have you in studio. Um, just to go back to how I started the introduction of the Capitol Jewish Museum, mm-hmm. I don't know if people thought there was a need for a Jewish museum in D.C. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about what's behind it? Yeah, so our origins really start with uh, the you. the crown jewel of our collection, which is uh, we call it the little synagogue that could. It's it's the first purpose built synagogue in D.C. built in 1876, and it was originally located where Metro's headquarters is now in downtown D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the 60s, when they wanted to build the headquarters, they uh, a group of people from the community got together and founded the Jewish Historical Society of Greater Washington mm-hmm. and moved the synagogue. Um, 
and we we there was a overwhelming need and desire to preserve this building for its history, being the first purpose-built synagogue in D.C. Okay, what does so, that mean, purpose-built? <clears throat> so it's the first, like, intentionally built. So it was built to be a synagogue rather than being... Um, like a community center? A community center or someone's house, someone's living room, places mm-hmm. like where anyone would worship before there was a purpose-built, like a building built for worship okay. um, or for services of any kind. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, so it's been moved a couple of times, and we changed our name uh, 2015, 2016 to the Capitol Jewish Museum, mm-hmm. um, and we are currently being built at 3rd and F Northwest, as you said, in, in, um, right down the street from the National Building Museum. And what is the mission of the museum? What, yeah. what kind of exhibits are we going to look for? <clears throat> Give us a little overview yeah. of that. So one of the things that we pride ourselves on is really bridging like the past and to the present, and so we're trying to utilize the, the sanctuary, the synagogue, um, to really talk about the history of the Jewish community here in D.C. And so mm-hmm. not only the community um, as it is today or as it was, but also its migration patterns and how it's kind of moved around the city, its businesses, everything from different kinds of, uh, of food, re- like restaurants, grocery stores, et cetera, mm-hmm. to, um, to how they've kind of moved throughout the larger DMV. Um, the experience within the museum, we're going to try really, we're trying really hard to make it uh, not your average history museum. So we're trying to make it more experiential, more participatory. You'll be able to kind of interact with some of our exhibitions, walk from the sanctuary um, across a bridge into our modern galleries on the second floor. So Okay, I'm going to put a pin in it right there. Yeah. We're going to talk about those galleries. I have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into it. This is Nikki Nellis. I am beastless today, but I've got the Snallygaster in with me, so I'm in good shape. We'll be back in just a sec. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Foodie and the Beast. I am talking with Andrew Colum of the Capitol Jewish Museum. There's going to be this fabulous food festival coming up. But the museum is opening in spring of 2023. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yes. Only because I've dealt with a lot of restaurants who say they're opening and then they <laughs> don't. So we all know how that goes. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have uh, exhibits Mm-hmm. And you're, a lot of it is really has to do with the Jewish community mm-hmm. from the D.C. metro area. Yeah. So talk about that outreach and the kinds of things that will be there. Yeah. So um, one of the most interesting pieces in, in the galleries, in my opinion, is is we're going to have this interactive map, map table that's actually going to show the different patterns of how people – like the Jewish community has moved around the city, around the district and then um, to the suburbs and so on. And not, not only just the community itself but also businesses. So you'll see no, where – No, there's been located. a migration of where – because my yeah. husband is born and raised, he's quite a bit older than me. Um, he was born and raised in uh, DC, mm-hmm. and you know, 16th mm-hmm. Street, mm-hmm. when he was growing up, was called Hanukkah Heights. Right. But nobody calls it that anymore no. because it's a totally diverse area now. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, the Jews lived there, and then they moved to Silver Spring. Yep. So it's really interesting to see that there was a migration pattern yeah. to where the communities moved and how they lived. Yeah, and so we're gonna, and we're going to be able to you'll be able to kind of trace those throughout history and kind of see on this map how they kind of shifted to to Silver Spring and then um, to different parts of the district um, and even into Virginia as well. So No, um, no, they're not in Virginia. That's fair. No, they're not. There's Um, no one in Virginia. But um, I know there's a JCC there, but I don't know who's (laughs) it for. (laughs) Yeah. um, But and and then we're also we also have a lot of objects from the community, which is really great. Bethesda Bagels uh, closed down their DuPont location earlier this year, and we actually were able to acquire Bagelman, their, their like logo mascot that they hung outside the building, which is really cool. And so we'll have that. Um, and then we have you know things like RBG's, like one of RBG's collars. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites is this little matchbook that Jimmy Carter used to light the first like um, 
the menorah for the first like national celebration of Hanukkah. He he used it to light oh. it. It's a really cool little. It's so tiny, but it's such a cool piece of history that we have. That um, is cool. I mean, there's so much here, yeah. um, and um, I'm sure you got a lot of families or people who are like, oh, I want to share this story. I want to yeah. tell this story because. There's such a large community here. Yeah, I mean, and we're so appreciative to the community for helping us kind of acquire a lot of these objects because a lot of it is people reaching out um, Mm -hmm. and then saying, like, I know so-and-so who has, like, a really cool thing or a really cool family history, and then we connect with them, and we we send one of our amazing team to to their home or to their storage unit, and we kind of look through their stuff and figure out Hey, this is a really cool story. We would we would love to be able to tell that in some capacity. And so it's, it's been amazing. a very amazing process to work with the community to build this place. I bet. I cannot wait to see it in completion. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this food festival. Yeah. Why do a food festival before the museum is even open? Yeah, so we we really wanted to kind of do something to kind of kick off getting people aware that we're coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and we so last year we did a really, really big event called Sukkah City around Sukkot, which is a, a, a harvest festival um, that we did with the National Building Museum. And so we wanted to do something around the same time frame again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because because a big tenant of uh, Sukkot is welcoming the stranger. And so we really wanted to welcome the community uh, adjacent to our future home because right. it's going to be on F Street right next to our building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to welcome to the, welcome the community into our new home and show them uh, that w- what we're going to have and also just kind of explore. Food is, you know, a universal language. And so we wanted to use food to kind of explore Jewish tradition, identity, and community. So um, very quickly, let's talk about yeah. what's going to be at the festival. Yeah, we have over 20 food vendors ranging from, um, you know, uh, bagels. We're going to have uh, an Ethiopian restaurant. We're going to have you interviewing Michael Twitty, which is going to be amazing. I cannot wait. And have... I'm being introduced by Joe yeah. Nathan, yes. which is also pretty cool. Yeah. And we're going to have some food demos mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Susan Barocas, I believe. And so we're. it's going to be a really fun time. You know, I love Susan. She's amazing. She's our steering. She's our steering chair for the for the food festival. She's mm-hmm. been an amazing help. Yeah, helping, she's um, she's a going. she's a little lady, but she's a powerhouse. <laughs> yeah, I adore her. She is really cool. Yeah. So, um, all right, give the deets yeah. how they get how they get their tickets. Like, what's the deal? Yeah. So it's going to be on F Street Northwest between Second and Third. We're closing it down. It's next to our building. If you Google Capital Jewish Museum, you'll find our address. Mm-hmm. Um, it is on Sunday, October 9th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And you can get tickets at capitaljewishmuseum.org. Excellent. And uh, we hope you guys will come back in studio Absolutely. once it opens. We can talk yeah. more about the kinds of exhibits you have and how people, all people, yeah. can enjoy the no, space. Absolutely. Right? Because yeah. um, it's for everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining me today. Um, all right. Now I'm going, it's kind of a Jewish heavy show, which it wasn't intended to be, but <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Well, this is Israel. It's not necessarily Judaism. So as you all know, I went to Israel with Reality Israel uh, this summer, which is all about the exploration of uh, Israel through multiple lenses. Our lens was taste. So we discovered Israel through food, and we went with a very diverse group of people uh, from all walks of life, uh, most of whom were not Jewish, to learn about the food in that region and to have really hard incredible conversations. There I met uh, Dara Schwartz. She and I connected pretty quickly on the first day. I think you wore a shirt that said, like, I'm a feminist or I don't know, it was something like that, right? Wasn't it something like that? I, yeah. yeah. I'm so impressed you remember that level of detail. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it was just love at your site. For right. Yes. But <laughs> Dara, your story is really interesting. You have 
these products called Dorista Dips. And, you know, breaking in to the packaged goods market is not easy. And it's not like you were like cooking up a storm in restaurants and had this for you. So talk a little bit about your journey and how these dips were created. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, during my advertising career, I was like the creative director of so multiple brands and marketing. Um, during that time, I got to travel around the world and um, really immerse myself into like local cultures, whether I was in Spain or Thailand, and and some of it was doing humanitarian work. Um, and during that time, um, my heart would you know blow up just from the stories and and the magic that would happen. The locals that would invite me into their homes and share their memories, their you know their traditions culture, everything. And every time I would come back, I just felt that I needed to share the story in a unique way. And I didn't know exactly how, but with everything that I grew up with, food was everything. It was a foundation for all my relationships, my family connections. And there was always a bug in me that I wanted to open up a restaurant. So what I did is I started moonlighting, you know, I was an agency during the day, which is laughable because usually that just never turns off. Um, but then I would work in the restaurants. I threw myself at multiple So were you just stodging or did they hire you? Like, how did that come to be? I was, I was just honest. I said, I will be your hardest worker. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm self-trained. I didn't go to culinary school. Um, I want to open up a restaurant and I want to learn everything. And I feel that honesty and transparency and that hustle, um, I, I, I feel that's why they embrace me. And, you know, to this day, I have like restaurant go- godfathers that, you know, like they're literally are my mentors for life. And so I did, you know, circled the area through a lot of Columbus top restaurants just to learn. And then I, um, I posted a pop-up. So a grocery store actually was like, hey, we love what you're doing. Will you run our pop-up, you know, two days a week? And so but I started doing that. What does that mean, a grocery store doing a pop-up? Because that's not, that's not a prolific, no. that's not a pro- prolific business model. So what were they trying to do and what did they want you to do? It was actually smart. The marketing director there, um, they had this brand up. And they would host a lot of events that were super successful and they wanted to support the local, you know, the local scene, you know, aspiring chefs or makers or even people who are trying to get into packaged food. And so they developed a program um, for popping up in their veranda. And it was like a win-win, like, hey, you're going to bring in unique traffic, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll take a percentage of your sales, it's super low risk for you, you can try out your concept and just, you know, get some feedback. So um, I ended up piloting like a very abbreviated uh, restaurant cafe concept called Darista, and um, it went crazy. Like there was but so what were much- you? So, so tell me what you were serving at Darista, because I want to know like how you wound up with the dips, like a Specifically hummus dips. I mean, that had to be some sort of trajectory. Absolutely. So um, it's completely unrelated. Like the foods, it was uh, like very Venezuelan focused. I was doing like arepas and patacones, like totally. But the um, the whole story and journey was fusing different flavors and ingredients from around the world. Mm-hmm. So I literally would have like a coconut curry arepa, you know, with like beef cheeks. I mean, like just 
insane things. And then also like fun little food bites. And during that time, local grocers were like, hey, you know what? We would love if you would design a couple grab and go items for us. Like, would you ever consider packaging your food? And that's how the whole packaged food started. I mean, do you I know how many people would kill for that kind of opportunity? I mean, I, I just, we have people who come through this studio all the time who have these amazing projects. They put their blood, sweat, and tears on. And, you know, they're like, you know, I mean, I know you do some of this too as you're growing, but, you know, getting the opportunity with the assistance of a market is really, it's, you just don't hear about that. Right. I mean, and you have to, and I think today more than anything, especially with what we've been through COVID and everything else, but even prior to that, everyone was trying to find their angle or something creative. And I'm just the kind of person even like, I'm like, I was pitch, you know, like, what do you think of this idea? Or, you know, and what's the worst they're going to say? No. Right. Um, and like even sharing spaces, you know, and this, this location closes down at five, I'm going to come in from like six to eight and do like special events. Like, mm-hmm. so a lot of collaborations, at least in our city, um, is completely welcomed. So, uh, but no, so they, you know, hum, like some of our hummus flavors, like our roasted beet, which is now lemony beet hummus, um, that was something that our customers love, love, loved. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at the business model differently. Um, and I was like, well, I can actually start packaging food and start, you know, while I'm waiting for that restaurant or that brick and mortar, which is like a half a million dollars, like, you know, two completely different <laughs> financial models. Right. Um, and I think my only hesitation was, can I reach the customer with something sitting on the shelf that I am not engaging with? Because right? that's hard, right? Especially when right. you're the kind of person you are, you like to talk to your customer, you want to tell them what you're serving, right. what's in it, what's happening, why they're going to like it so much, right? Like there's a narrative. For sure. The emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that being stripped away was like, well, then what's my purpose? I'm sharing stories of people that I personally have met around the world. How can I reach them? Mm-hmm. But sure enough, I decided to pilot, you know, our three flavors in four, in four grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And they literally sold out. Okay, so let's quickly... Days. Before, because we have to take a quick commercial break. What are the flavors that are available now? Because now you have like five, right? Right. We have five. And I was about to show you, but let everyone, like, you can't see it. So I'll describe them. I have five flavors. Right. We have the lemony beet hummus, mm-hmm. the Zatar traditional, right. our harissa carrot, mm-hmm. our sweet potato coconut curry, mm-hmm. and then our pequillo red pepper hummus, which is inspired by Spain. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. But on that note, I want to talk about all the different varieties because. Your advice is, is not to just use them as dips. You can incorporate them in multiple ways in cooking, which I love. Yeah. All right. This is Nikki Nellis. I'm talking with Darista's Dips. I'll be back in just a sec. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast. It's me, Nikki Nellis. I am uh, without my husband today. He's schlepping my son up to Rochester. Uh, so you just get me. But we have amazing guests both in studio and on Zoom. Right now I'm talking with uh, Dara Shorts. She is behind Darista Dips. And she has this amazing, inspiring story about how she has her packaged goods in the market. And I know there's so many people out there, especially after the pandemic, where people were home and they were either making you know, their own sourdough bread, or they started making salad dressings, people started making stuff. And then they're like, this is really good. How do I sell it? So I know what you started with Darista Dips is pre-COVID. But I think your story really shows that there's so many different ways to get your items into market. 
Oh, you bet. So let's and talk. So you have these items. They're all hummus dips, right? Like, are they all hummus based? They're all hummus based. Chickpeas, tahini, lemon. Do we have to worry about that chickpea shortage? Because there's a chickpea shortage, right? I yeah. keep getting press releases that there's a chickpea shortage. Is that a lie? There is. It's not a lie. Okay. Um, but it will not impact us. Okay. So that's good news. <laughs> So how, so you have these different items. How did you go about, because making hummus at home, I mean, we're in Israel, we know how delicious hummus is, especially when it's super fresh. How did you learn about stabilizing the ingredients so that it had shelf life? Because that's a big, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's huge. And it's it's something that we would not ever jeopardize the integrity of what we believe in in food. Mm -hmm. um, when I started, we were self-manufacturing. And it's all about like, nerdy food science, which I love. Um, it's all about the, you know, acidity in foods that help like stabilize. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, that's only going to last you anywhere from like six to 12 days. Mm -hmm. So um, there is a technology to fast forward. It's called um, HPP, high pressurization processing and think cold pressed juices. That's exactly um, what I'm thinking. Right. Basically suffocating, like taking this dip, suffocating it in water and dialing in you know with this insane force that like would literally like blow us up um and it literally blows up the yeast and molds i mean this is the most like easiest simplistic way i can <laughs> describe it and yeast and molds are your active spoilers mm -hmm. for food and so by getting rid of those all like naturally just based on you know gravity and and and, and um, water and force uh you get an extended shelf life now that's not how I started. I had to I had to convince the grocery stores to freeze my dips and slack them out and date them anywhere mm. from like 10 to 21 days and hope that everybody was willing to work that extra. I bet because <laughs> like, that's a lot of people don't like to things when they're difficult. So I appreciate that. I want to just good. quickly talk about so when I ordered all your dips, um, the one that I was least interested in, because I don't love sweet potato, I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the one I'm going to like the least. But it was my favorite. I loved it because it had all those Thai flavors. And yeah. um, But you said you do other things with it. So talk to me about the creativity behind like working with the dips other than just throwing a carrot in it. Yeah, you bet. Um, and and I like the sweet potato is like my my like favorite child. Mm -hmm. um, it was based on my time in Thailand, like slurping tomkat soup on the floating markets. And what's there's so much flavor packed in these dips that it it literally is like your easy go to restaurant or like home meals that taste like restaurant. So mm -hmm. for instance, a sweet potato, like I literally like saute some onions. I almost think of tomato paste as you're building soup or a sauce. You throw in the whole container of sweet potato, coconut curry hummus, add a little veggie stock and, you know, thin it out with a little bit more coconut milk. And you all, like literally are ready to throw protein or vegetables in. And, and you, you have, have a sauce. A right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a lot of people think that way. You know, when they look at something in their fridge, they think that's a dip. And I am mm -hmm. just supposed to dip things in it. But I love that it has like these multi uses. All right, listen, yeah. we have to wrap up. You and I can catch up later. Um, can you please tell everybody where they can find you on social and where they can order your dips? Because I've ordered them and they're easily delivered. They come frozen and you just pop them in your fridge and they're ready to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, Instagram is probably the best place. It's just at Darista with a D. Think of barista, but D. Mm-hmm. And we're online at daristadips.com. And then in the D.C. area, we're in Giant Foods, all the like 144 Giant Food locations mm-hmm. and select Whole Foods. Um, and if you don't see us there, ask a buyer and they'll bring it in. You got it. All right, Dar. Good to see you. Thank Thanks you, so Nikki. much. All right, Greg. Let's talk. Beast is next. Get me my drink. Thank you so much. Okay. So, Greg. Yes. Let's talk. Um, so, with the curation of all the different beers mm-hmm. and all the things that is happening there, I mean, I've been at Snally Gaster, I think, almost every year. And what I always find really interesting is the people who line up early, the VIPs. Yeah. And it's like... Um, I, I think you guys did a video like with Chariots of Fire in the background, like yes. the people like running, <laughs> running yes. to like go get their beers because there are guys there that are people there, men and women, who they really want to talk to. So like yeah. who are some of those people that the beer nerds are coming for? The brewers, yeah. So um, there's there's a there's a ton of them, but um, some that come immediately to mind uh, is a brewery from Brussels called Cantillon that makes spontaneously fermented. Lambic, it's sour beer, aged in oak barrels with lots of different fruits. People love that. Uh, that's one of the breweries that tends to go most quickly. Um, and then there's a host of like uh, of American brewers that are kind of cult brewers. One's called Monkish. Um, they're from Torrance in Los Angeles originally. Now they have another place in Anaheim. But they rarely, if ever, send beer to the East Coast. So this is like one of the only times. Why do they not like us? What's the problem? Uh, Yeah, they can't keep up with demand. Although Mm. they did expand recently, so we're going to see a little bit more of them. And then there's another uh, cool little brewery called Fidens, which opened just a couple years ago, actually uh, near where I'm from in upstate New York, Albany area. Uh, And they have taken off like a rocket. People love their beers. They make hazy IPAs, double IPAs, um, things that. David enjoys drinking. Yeah. Too bad you're not here. Now let me ask you a question about that because no. for the for the beer drinker, but not the beer lover, mm-hmm. what is it? What are these breweries that you're specifically talking about? What is it that they're bringing to the table? That like some of the other hazy IPAs. Like what's what's it's a great question. What is it about it that makes uh, it so it's special? It's a great question, especially because we are awash in hazy IPA. It's everywhere, right? right. But honestly, it's just like with beer in, in the U.S. You know, I, I love American craft brewing. But there's too many brewers. I mean, there's over 9,000 breweries. They're not all amazing. And and that's where like you can go to a grocery store and see shelves filled with hazy IPA, but that doesn't mean that they're all of equal caliber. It's the same you could say for wine or spirits, restaurants, bars, No, no, no. It's a good point. So let's talk. Let's You you brought up a really good point. Let's talk about hazy IPA just because you brought it up. What are, to you, the benchmarks? Of a good hazy IPA. What distinguishes them? Yeah, yes. what are you looking for in it? What are you like? Absolutely. Oh, these are the qualities I like. Well, the thing about the hazy IPA, which is so fascinating, is that you know bitterness is polarizing. Um, some people love it, some don't. Um, but IPA used to be bitter. It was dry. It was clear. Um, it was typically like, it might be fruity in the nose, but it was like dank and herbal. Well, hazy IPA kind of solved all of its issues because it made it creamier, richer on the palate, a little bit sweeter, mm-hmm. not as bitter, and much more tropically fruity. So for me, I'm looking for balance in anything that I'm drinking or eating. Um, this is going to be so hazy IPAs that are the best are full-bodied, finishing dry without being overtly bitter, never astringent. Uh, and in the nose, it should just be like amply aromatic, lots of tropical fruit, but also as the as you drink the beer, it should change. It should evolve in the glass. Mm. Um, something, and, and as with all beers in the world, the best beers in the world are those that you can investigate aromatically, 
or just drink and enjoy. And they kind of work for all occasions in that way. Well, I mean, that's very similar to wine or coffee. I mean, some of the, you know, aromatically, that's what you're looking for first. Your nose tells you what's coming, right? And Mm -hmm. then, you know, the taste buds follow. 99% of taste is through the nose. You know, if you plug your nose and drink something, you're just going to taste sweet, sour, bitter, salty. Right, Mommy, whatever, you know, and then like, but the nose is really where it tells you all of that. But um, yeah, so it's great. But I will say you're making a good point. Like there are the beer geeks that run for these breweries. And then there's lots of people who just like having a good time or just love beer. And that's what's so cool about what's going on in American craft brewing now is it's not just about barrel age this and that. It's not just about rarity or scarcity. People are making classic styles again. So you see all these amazing lagers, just really simple classic, subtly nuanced lager beers that people are just slamming. I think that's why, not <laughs> why I'm, I'm dressed they're the sipping. way I am. They're sipping. Yeah. They're yeah. not slamming. They're sipping. Yeah. sipping. Maybe they slam later in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but like even Oktoberfest, I can tell you 10 years ago, I wasn't dressed in lederhosen for a month. You know what I mean? Like people are back into these ideas of drink of, of sipping, but rather than overanalyzing and beer is becoming really fun again. Um, not that it wasn't for a long no, time. No, no. But there was a serious, I, I think cocktails, uh, the cocktail went movement the went thing. through the same thing. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, there are complexities to it and nuance to cocktails and wine and beer, but we're drinking. Exactly. I mean, we're not, we're not curing cancer right. with this stuff. You know right. what I mean? But we so. had to get attention. Like for beer, it had a long way to go to get people to care about it and think that it could be amazing. So that's why I think it was a little bit serious. And I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else right. for many years. But now that it's gained ma- super mainstream accessibility, now it's fun again um, and Which also respected. I love great. that. All right. What you poured me is not a beer. No. So what is it? So this is the thing. So, you know, Neighborhood Restaurant Group, our restaurants, um, all through the D- DMV and in New York City, <clears throat> we do beer, of course. And but soon we do in New Orleans. Cocktails in New Orleans coming up. Cocktails. We do wine. Uh, amazing chefs, food, everything else, coffee. Um, so Nick Farrell's our spirits director. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the pandemic, we developed Show of Hands, which is this amazing bar concept that also does bottled cocktails. We'll have a lot of cocktails on at Snally Gaster in addition to beer and wine and mm-hmm. cider. Um, so this is Apple Crisp. Uh, we just released it yesterday. Calvados is the base spirit. It's got some St. Elizabeth um, allspice dram, the Jamaican spiced rum liqueur. Orgeat is that almondy note that you're getting in the nose. Mm-hmm. A lot of cinnamon, a lot of bitters, and a big splash of lemon. Perfect it's, for fall. I mean, it's delicious. Thanks. It is perfect for fall. I feel like you could warm it up, too, and it'd be mm-hmm. really yummy. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Events DC, Peru is in the house. We got the um, Embassy Chef Challenge here in studio. We'll be back in just a second. And we're back. I'm Foodie and the Beast. Uh, So the Embassy Chef Challenge is a part of a massive weekend-long celebration of international culture and heritage, all put on by Events DC. Jinhee Kim is... uh, She's chief creative officer. That's a very nice title. Yeah, at Events DC. (laughs) And she brought with her a competing chef, Michael Chifardi from Peru. And uh, who's talking for us today is Fido Garcia with Inca Social. So we are so appreciative of you guys coming in today. So, um, Jinhee, give everybody sort of the 411, because I cannot believe the Embassy Chef Challenge, which is on the 13th of October, is already sold out. That's right. That's oh my right. God. And we are, I believe we had a two-year hiatus. And I think we, it, had we gone those two years, it would be, I believe, our 16th year, maybe. Wow. 
you know better than I. You've been involved. Um, I've been involved, long, involved for a really long That's time. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, and we're very excited. And I think um, primarily this is something that is important to us because it represents the many cultures and communities who intersect in Washington, D.C., and it mm-hmm. makes D.C. so unique. And so we have, you know, in, in, in any other city, there's a hyper-local and national, but we have, we have the beautiful international community who thrive and are deeply invested in the success of their communities here. So we're very proud and excited. Well, and I think that, um, you know, if you live in D.C. or the D.C. metro area, you're very well aware of the embassies. But, you know, the embassy chefs just stay in their little silo there of working at the embassies. So they don't really get to go out or they may go out, but they're not with the other chefs. Do you know what I mean? Where like I have chefs coming in studio every week, you know, talking about what they're doing you know, blowing hot air, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, but so it's exciting to see uh, these chefs get their due and able to really talk about their cuisine. That's so right. I'd love to know what uh, Chef Michael plans on doing at the competition. Is he ready to bring it? He's uh, he's really excited. He's really ready to bring it. It's not one of the quesas que vas a traer en la competición. Los platos. <laughs> so the four dishes that we're going to do are the ceviche, which is the classic Peruvian dish. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the, in my opinion, one of the best uh, dishes that Peru has to offer. We have the seco de cordero, which is, uh, sec- what's up? Yeah. The, it's, the seco de res is more of, it's a little bit more of lamb. So it's a little bit, not fusion, but a different way to do it. It's mm-hmm. a great dish with a lot of Peruvian flavors. We have the causa, which is, again, a very traditional dish. It's a cold dish. Uh, it's a potato dish that's, Amplifies again a very traditional Peruvian uh, roots. Uh, Potato is a very big uh, ingredient for us. Mm-hmm. And the last one is a quinoa salad, which again, quinoa is a superfood, and it's quinoa is a very big ingredient for Peru. Uh, I think we're one of the only producers of quinoa. Well, I mean, Peru. I feel like quinoa sort of. I mean, quinoa has been a huge part of the Peruvian diet for a long. You know, yeah. Forever. Right. Exactly. Forever. So but sure. it really sort of has migrated into the American diet really in the last 20 years. But I think there was a huge push coming out of Peru to for, I guess, financially. And I mean, what a I'm sure there's a we are all thankful for it. I think it's a good superfood. It's a good supplement. And I think worldwide it's becoming known. Um, And it's just it's a it's a great, great food to have. So we I mean, try they're to now putting quinoa in sushi, like instead yeah. of rice. So I mean, the way that people it gives have... you a cool texture though when you, I love when you it. eat it. We do something. Um, well, chef does something with with like a fried shrimp and like a mayo sauce with the quinoa on top. Mm. So it's like a sweetness and the glaze and then the the crunchiness of the quinoa tastes tastes really really good. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 it's not. It is good. I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole on quinoa, but I'd love to talk about so. The Embassy Chef Challenge, you have 40 chefs participating. That's right. And they're all going to compete. There are five judges this year. And then, like, what is it, just bragging rights? Like, what happens? Well, um, you know, I think that the chefs are so excited. And this is the first time we've had Peru, so we're so very humbled that you're um, engaged. Mm -hmm. And they're very proud. They have a, a, a real sense of pride. And I think there's a lot of pressure when and you know you've been interviewing embassy chefs um, to represent their country, mm-hmm. and so when they win, we have you know in, in my understanding, I wasn't here when we did the last embassy chef challenge, um, but the winners are literally texting and tweeting, and it's going countrywide. Right, it's national. Like, it's national and or it's going international. Back, international. So it's going back to Haiti. It's going back to Ghana. It's going mm-hmm. back to their countries, and it's almost like an Olympic event. They're all waiting and watching. And so for us, we're just very humbled and proud to be able to to do this and have this platform for this 
this international community. Well, and having been there before, I mean, it's just the incredible diversity that showcases at that event. It really just sort of makes your heart swell to see like what's happening in D.C. that everybody doesn't always get to see. We're all in our like little pockets all the time. Now, can we talk about quickly what else is happening that weekend? Because you guys, guys, you expanded majorly. So tell me about it. We did. I mean, we started with the Embassy Chef Challenge because that's sort of the jewel in our crown. Mm -hmm. Um, And we moved that uh, to the Smithsonian's American Art Museum. We have two levels now because there's so much interest in in people not only buying tickets but also participating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second day will be um, what we're calling our Taste of Oktoberfest. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's something that we're very excited to bring. Um, mm-hmm. And then, then the third day is our Dio, uh, Dia de los Muertos. We're working with the Me- Mexican embassy on that. We're also working with um, a very famous children's film that we'll have two screenings for that. Um, and that's a really family-friendly event, that's right. which is really great. Um, right. And so let me just ask the chefs here in the studio. I mean, are you ready for this competition? Because I've interviewed five chefs now, and they're like, they're ready to win. How are you feeling? So uh, we talked about this on the way here. He's he's we're both everyone's really excited about the competition. I think we really are eager to show off the food that we have, the proving foods nine years in a row been deemed the best food in the world. Uh, so he's excited about that. He's uh really want to showcase our culture. Uh, we're gonna do Chicha Morada as a drink as well, too, to showcase something. I'm special. sure you wanna look her everybody up. I see where <laughs> you're going. Then uh <laughs> But no, he's where we want to win, but we're excited to see what everyone has to offer mm-hmm. and just excited for everyone to really taste the world, you know? Excellent. Um, and really, there'll be really cultural excited, programming as well. So I think that's it really gives kind of the full bodied flavor of a, a, a commuting culture. Great. OK, tell everybody where they can find out about all the events other than the list. Are you on Obviously. Yeah. Internationalcityfest.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. And also go to, is it Gather in D.C.? Gather by Events DC, yes, um, .com. As yes, well. amazing videos featuring me and all these amazing chefs around the city. Uh, take a look because there are some incredible stories there. All right, Greg, come back up to the mic. So we know there's beer. We know there's wine. We know there's cocktail. I know there's also food. Talk a little bit about that. So, yeah, so food, uh, we have, uh, I think at last count, like 24 different food vendors coming in, some mm-hmm. in tents, some in trucks, um, some coming as far uh, from as far away as, as Portland, Maine. <clears throat> High Roller Lobster Company joins us every year. They're incredible. Yeah, there's um, always a line for that. Uh, yeah, there is. Go, right. Run for that. <laughs> run for the lobster. <laughs> That's going to be you. Uh, but, yeah, and then we have... Um, like Aloha Snacks out of Virginia Beach, which is really great, like Hawaiian and poke bowls coming. Mm. It's a really, really eclectic, I think, broad range of foods this year. We worked very hard on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's great because restaurants seem to be in a better place. So we're getting more interest. Last year was very difficult because a lot of people just didn't have the staff to come out. I was going to say that. staff shortages. I mean, but um, So, yeah, so that's been very cool. And then, of course, um, Neighborhood Restaurant Group will, be, group will be representing with some of our chefs um, through Neighborhood Provisions. Um, we'll have, you know, Red Apron and some other cool stuff going on as well. Excellent. And lastly, what about the bands that are going to be there? Just give us a quick intake, like yes. one minute. So this is a D.C. festival. And mm-hmm. so Trouble Funk, which is the, the most classic, legendary go-go band, headlines as they have for the past two years. Pie mm-hmm. Tasters, a great soul and ska band, will be there. And Kulo, which is an amazing new reggae band is going to be on hand and then we have a couple more bands and like six or seven djs on two stages all day long it is a ton of fun okay. and we have family stuff too yeah no no i know kids are welcome absolutely our we dogs welcome bouncy dogs house come? and like 
We're making candy necklaces, big coloring pages. Yeah. You do the uh, the pretzel necklaces. Everybody walks around with those they pretzel love that, necklaces. Yes. <laughs> and flower crowns from Arcadia. Okay, excellent. All right, tell everybody, please, where they can buy tickets. Sure. SallyGasterDC.com. Mm-hmm. Um, tickets are still available. It's next Saturday, October the 8th, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., Uh, It's going to be an amazing day. Yes, it is. All right. Thank you so much. So I want to thank you, uh, all my guests in studio today, people who join me on Zoom. I want to thank everybody. In case you haven't noticed, I know it. today's October 1st. The show airs on October 2nd. There is so much to do in October. And it's not just Oktoberfest, although there seems to be a lot of them. Uh, Festivals, amazing new restaurants are opening. So many amazing events. Lots to do, lots to see. Go to the list are you on com because all of it is on there. Of course, you want to follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for everything you heard here today and everything else going on in and around the DC metro area and some of my travels as well. Um, sorry, David wasn't here. He missed a good show, but he'll be back next week. Uh, be safe out there, and everybody, please have a delicious week. <laughs>